Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Happy Easter. Hey, we are so thrilled that you're uh, joining us for Easter this morning. Uh, We, if you haven't been with us, we've been working our way through a series entitled I Am, hence the big I Am in the background there. And uh, on that I Am, we've written all the I Am statements of Jesus, uh, the I Am statements out of the book of John, and we've been covering those and working our way up to Easter. And we've covered things like, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am, and I am the true vine. And we saved, uh, I think, this one particularly for Easter. And if you look in the upper right, it's the resurrection and the life. And so today, that statement is actually found in John chapter 11. If you have your Bible, would you head over to John chapter 11 with us? You're going to read through that story with us today. As you're headed there, I kind of shared this a little bit with you a couple of weeks ago, but I want to let you know, uh, you know, before I became a pastor, I was a police officer. I was a state trooper here with us, uh, Colorado State Patrol, and that's what got me to the eastern corridor in the first place out here on the I-70 corridor. And uh, I found that there are some similarities between being a police officer and a pastor, One of them is, obviously, you're just called to protect and serve. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, One of the similarities, though, that's not a great one is the fact that you are with a lot of people when they take their last breath, when they're passing from this life into the next. And uh, I remember as a police officer on many occasions, I can't even tell you the number of people that I've watched die. And uh, one case in particular, I remember getting a call for a multi-vehicle accident. I hustled out to it, got there, first one on scene, went right to one of the cars. The driver was by himself, uh, a guy about my age. He was sitting in the driver's seat, trapped, and I knew right away he wasn't going to make it. And I think he knew it as well. And uh, to make things worse, not to get graphic or anything with you, it's Easter Sunday morning, we're here celebrating, but because of his injuries, um, he had a large split the skin on his forehead kept uh, sloping down. It just kept sagging down in front of his eyes. And each time that would happen, he would lose it because he he would think the lights were going out and it was the end and he would start freaking out. And I just, you know, kind of went in through the driver's window. It was all busted out. I'm sitting there trying to hang on to him, minimize the bleeding. And I keep having to reach up and push his skin up so that he could see me. And I'm going, it's okay, man. Hang in there with me. Stay with me. And he started this whole thing. He knew he was getting close and he started... Um, hey, I want you to tell my wife this. I want you to tell my kids this. And the skin would slide down. He'd start screaming again, and I'd pull it back and go, it's okay, it's okay. I'm still here. I'm still with you. And he'd go, can you tell my parents this? Can you make sure? And he was just giving me all this information, like no pressure, right? And I'm trying to remember everything he was saying because I knew it was important. It was his last words, and I needed to convey that to the family. As a pastor, uh, we do the same thing. We sit and we walk with people as they're getting close to death. And and I say all that to say this, that I've learned that there is a drastic difference, and I can't can't even overemphasize that enough, like massive difference between people who are facing death who know Christ 
and those who are approaching death who don't know Christ. Completely different categories. They're not even close to one another. And I think it's one of the reasons why if you ask anyone, not just in America, but worldwide, what is one of your greatest fears? Most people will say the fear of death. We don't talk about it because it's kind of morbid. Nobody wants to admit that they fear death, but the reality is it works on our mind all the time. We're constantly worried about what if it happens today? What if it happens tomorrow? When will the end come? Am I ready for that? Have I done everything that I want to do? And it's actually, um, I think it's caused because we know that it's the inevitable. Like our odds of dying are pretty high, right? Like it's one in one. It's really high that you will die someday. And yet we don't like to talk about it, even though we know that it's, it's inevitably going to happen. Like, like today, you got up, you're here, and, and the fact that you are surviving one more day means that you're one day closer to that day. And we instinctively know that. Now, for the world, we struggle with that because we're in this mindset that this is all that there is, and, and actually it's caused all kinds of problems within humanity. Uh, the medical field has actually given it a name. It's existential anxiety. I went and I read this article. It came out last June in the Medical News Today. And it's uh, what to know about existential anxiety. It says existential anxiety is a feeling of dread or panic that arises when a person confronts the limitations of their existence. Thoughts of death, the meaninglessness of life, the insignificance of self can all trigger existential anxiety. People may feel overwhelmed, hopeless, and helpless. Uh, what, are the, what is the thought it says existential thoughts are those that focus on the meaning of, and purpose of life and mortality. They can be positive or negative, but for most people it's negative because they highlight the vulnerability of life. Existential anxiety is a form of anxiety that arises from thinking about existence and self. The person may have feelings of insecurity, dread, isolation, loneliness. People may also experience a sense of emptiness and pointlessness. A person may develop existential anxiety because of former acts or decisions which trigger existential guilt or regret due to lost chances. Now, they start talking about some of the symptoms, and they say people may ex experience this anxiety differently. The signs and symptoms may not be visible to others because the person is internalizing them. On the outside, the individual may appear completely calm. However, their mind may be in turmoil. Some signs are having difficulty making decisions, feeling as though life is a struggle, having painful emotions such as despair, regret, withdrawing from social activities or loved ones, questioning beliefs, experiencing panic attacks. And all of this, this whole article was building to what do we do about it? What's treatment for it? A medical article on how we struggle with this idea, this fear of death, with our existence. And we get to the treatment section, this is what they wrote. There is no specific treatment for existential anxiety. How do you like that? The way to decrease symptoms is to examine and explore the feelings and accept them as a normal part of life. They go on to say, well, other people are working on some treatments, and one guy in particular, a psychiatrist and, and psychotherapist by the name of Viktor Frankl, developed this thing called logotherapy, and guess what this guy's background is? Um, he developed this therapy after surviving Nazi concentration camps. He believed that the main motivation for humans is the desire to find meaning in life. Now, I know I'm a dumb country pastor, but if uh, Medical News Today would have approached me about this article, you know what I would have told them? 
Go read John 11. That's what I would have told him. Because the answer is right there in John chapter 11. Let's take a look at this passage and see what we can learn today. Uh, it starts off in verse 1. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, if you don't know this story, let me just tell you, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all siblings. They're friends of Jesus, and Jesus was up. He lived up in the northern part by the uh, Sea of Galilee. He would travel to Jerusalem several times a year for festivals, things like Passover. And when he was in Jerusalem, he wouldn't stay in Jerusalem. He would go outside to Bethany, and he would stay with this family. That's why he became such good friends with this family. And now we're being told that Lazarus is sick. And then in verse 3, it says, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. I like the fact that they just didn't even put his name in there. They just said, your dear friend. Some of your translations say the one that you love is sick. And hopefully all of us are in this place right now where we have good enough friends that if they came to you and said, your dear friend is sick, you would know exactly who they were talking about without them ever giving you a name. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got this report, your dear friend is sick, what would you do? I think I would drop everything. I would just drop it and I would go to him, right? I would pull like that Forrest Gump scene where he's on the boat. And he's like, mama's sick, boom. And he just dives out and starts swimming. I think that's what I would do. Why? Because it's a dear friend. It's, it's the person that you love. But look at what Jesus does in verse five. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And they begin heading back. They have this conversation. Uh, you know, he says, hey, Lazarus is asleep. We have to go wake him up. They think he's talking about asleep, but Jesus already knows what's happened. And we find out in verse 17. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus was already, had already been in his grave for how many days? How many? Four. You need to know this. This is significant. Because in the first century Jewish faith, they believed that when somebody passed, that the spirit, the soul, would hang around the body for about three days. And so for three days, there's hope. Like they could be revived. They could come back. Maybe it's just a coma, right? And we're going to bring them back. But on the fourth day, you know what the fourth day represents? You know why John wrote four days in there? Because he wants to send a message to us that it is too late. It's over. It's finito. It's done. He's dead. He's more than dead. He's dead, dead. That's what it means. Jesus arrives four days after he's been in the tomb. I say that because I know some of you are sitting here today because somebody invited you. Or maybe you came on your own just because it's Easter and you thought, you know, it's, that's the day I'm supposed to go to church and you're here. But, but let's be honest, you're here and you're not really looking for anything. Because in your life, you think it's too late. You think you've messed it up. You think it's beyond hope. There is no more hope. And I don't know, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's, it's a relationship with a child or a parent. Maybe you've gotten to that age where you're like, you know what, I'm too old to have purpose in my life anymore. Or maybe it's just life. Like maybe you're at that place where you're thinking thoughts nobody should be thinking. And you need to know this today. Here we are on Easter Sunday, and the reason we celebrate Easter it is because of the truth that Jesus, listen to me, Jesus brings dead things back to life. You need to know that it is never too late for Jesus Christ. You might think it's four days, it's too late. He'll tell you differently. 
And you're going to see it in this story. I want you to know that that is the truth that we're celebrating today, that Jesus brings dead things back to life. Now, if you can testify to that this morning, you've seen him do that in your life, would you just say right on? Okay, there you go. A whole bunch of testimonies right there of how God has worked in people's lives to bring dead things back. They thought it was too late. They thought it was too far gone. There's more, no more hope. And Jesus shows up. Verse 22, or 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And what's fascinating is later on in the text, Mary would go out to meet Jesus and she will say the exact same thing in verse 32. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Some of you, you've lost hope because you think Jesus is too late. You think if, if only he'd showed up earlier, if only I'd known about him sooner, if only he had come in when, when we were at this stage, but now we're beyond that, we're at this stage, if only you had been here. And I want you to know that sometimes Jesus delays, and his delays don't always mean that he's denying. Jesus' delays aren't always denials. You've got to let Jesus do what he does in your life, and it's never too late for him. Mary and Martha thought it was too late, but Jesus. That's a phrase you need to learn. But Jesus. When you add that, anything's possible at that moment. Without him, Nothing's possible. With Jesus, everything is possible. I want you to know, but Jesus, he shows up, and in verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus just tells her, look, he will rise again. And she's already thinking towards eternity. Yeah, I know that, Jesus, he'll rise. So, and this is the mistake many of us make. We think that, that sometimes that the promises that Jesus makes. We, we believe that the truth that we find in Jesus isn't for us right now. We think it's for someday, for eternity. It's not for this life, it's for that life. It's not for today, it's for tomorrow. And you need to know that Jesus came for your today just as much as he came for your tomorrow. He cares just, about, uh, just as much about your life today as he does about your eternity. He goes on, in verse 25, to say the, our I am statement this morning, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Notice he doesn't say, I'm one of the resurrections and one of the life, or I'm one of them. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's it, period. He's the only one. And then he gets very personal in verse 26. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? I love how he uses her name. He just calls her out. And can I just say this? For 2,000 years, this is the same question Jesus has been asking every one of us. You can put your name in there if you want because somewhere down the line in your life, you must answer for yourself this question. Do you believe? Do you believe this? Insert your name. And notice that Jesus didn't ask her, do you believe in this certain denomination or this doctrine or how the world will end? No, it's do you believe that I am who I say I am? That's all he's asking her. Not 
Um, Do you believe that you can be good enough or that you can do these works and it'll get you into heaven? No. Do you believe I am who I say I am? It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what we believe about Jesus. That's it. Simply put, Jesus asked Martha if she was convinced that he was the Messiah that would bring life. Without placing her faith in the proper place, she would have never experienced forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ. It all comes down to where you place your faith. Now, let me ask you this. If this was you and you were standing there in Martha's sandals, what would your response been? Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? How do you respond to that? And think about the context. They're standing in front of her brother's tomb, and he's been in the tomb how long? Four days. And yet he says, we'll never, ever die? I would Honestly, I would have been struggling a little bit. Like, Jesus, um, I hear you, but don't you see what's going on in my life right now? I hear what you're saying, but are you paying attention to what's happening right now? How would you have responded? Take a look at the way... Martha responds in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Ding, 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 right? She, she hit it, bullseye. Perfect score. Touchdown, right? Home run. She nails it. What about you? How would you respond? I love this story because after she stands there and says, I do believe, even, even though I might doubt, Lord, my, my brother's been in the tomb for four days, I do believe that you are the resurrection and the life. I do. Right after that, Jesus turns. He goes to the tomb. And in the shortest verse in all of Scripture, it just says that Jesus wept. He just takes in the scene and he weeps. If you ever wonder if you have a God who understands what you're going through, Jesus does. But what I love is right after that, he tells them, he he goes, roll away the stone. And this is where the text gets fun because the people start to object. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, he's been in the tomb four days. You can't roll that stone away. Like, there's a smell. And and I like the King James Version because it says, he stinketh. That's what it says. He stinketh. We can't roll that stone away. And Jesus is like, no, I'm telling you, roll it away. And finally they relent. They roll it away. And Jesus says a prayer out loud for all of them to hear. And literally what he says is, God, I'm going to do this so that they might know who you are and that you sent me and that they would believe. And do you know what he says? He shouts in a loud voice. Lazarus comes out. And you know what happens? A dead dude gets up and walks out of the tomb. That's my Jesus. And I love that story. We celebrate it as one of the greatest miracles, and I think it is. It's just an amazing story. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing what happened because I don't think any of us could testify to something better than that. Has anyone ever seen somebody that's been dead for four days come back to life? I'm just looking around to make sure. Nope. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think so. Right? Amazing miracle. But do you know what the problem with it is? I'm not interviewing Lazarus today. Do you know why? Because he would eventually die again. Do you know what's a greater miracle even than the one that we just read about Lazarus? Is that eight chapters later, 
Jesus himself, after living a perfect life, would go to the cross and he would give his life as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. They would take him and they would place his body in a tomb and three days later they would show up and it was empty. Jesus rose again. That's a 10 times better miracle than what happened to Lazarus. And you might be thinking, well, why would he do something like that? Why would he go to the cross? Why would he, why would he come back from the grave? Um, scripture tells us the reason he did it is because he loves you. Because he loved you so much, he gave his life for you. Because you were designed for a relationship and it was broken because of sin and Jesus entered in and he made it to where you could be made right with God and have a right relationship with him. And not only that, he didn't just come so that you might have eternity with him someday. He came so that you could have a better life here and now. Literally, Jesus said, I came so that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That means today. Easter proves that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Easter proves that if you believe in Jesus like Martha did, that you will be forgiven of your sins and that you will be saved forever. That you won't have to fear death. You won't have to worry about it because you will be secure in him and you will know where you are going. And can I just say this? That's a gift that is far better than the one that that Lazarus received. Now, this isn't in scripture. This is just me playing around, okay? My imagination runs wild sometimes. And I just want you to imagine just for a minute that Lazarus, you know, for the second time dies. And he goes to heaven and he sees Jesus and he's like, my dear friend, right? The one I love. And he goes over and they hug, right? And what do you think was said in that conversation? Which do you think Lazarus was more grateful for? Do you think he said, hey, thank you so much? for bringing me back to life after four days in the tomb so that I could extend my earthly life a little bit? Or do you think he was more grateful for, Jesus, thank you so much that you went to the cross and you rose again so that I could be forgiven of my sins and I could come and spend eternity in your presence forever. And see, that's the amazing thing about this gift is not only did Lazarus get that, you and I are offered the same thing. A gift far better than what Lazarus got. I had a friend several years ago who uh, was out cutting trees down and and through one of his cuts, he somehow contracted a a flesh-eating virus. Put him in the hospital and and like he got to a place where we thought we were going to lose him. The the chances of survival were in the single digits for him. We thought he was done. And by the grace of God, he was able to pull through and he's still dealing with some of the consequences of that. But I was having a conversation with him and I asked him, I said, what did you learn from that experience? And his answer was so on point. I had to write it down. This is what he said. He said, I learned how thin the veil is between life and eternity. And it is. We're here celebrating today, but none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And scripture says that when we die, we go to one of two places. We either go to heaven and spend eternity in God's presence, or we go to hell and we spend eternity out of God's presence. One of the two. And you might be thinking, well, why does God do that? That's not fair. And my answer to that would be this. God didn't do it. We did. God created us and designed us for a relationship with him forever. We brought sin into the picture. And it broke that relationship with him. 
And he could have just let it go. He could have said, fine, you're going to turn your back on me. I'll just let you go. You got what you deserved. You can live a life of sin and have eternal damnation and no way to pay it off yourself and no way to be redeemed or rescued or saved. But he didn't. He loved us so much that he sent his son who came and died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose again so that we could have eternal life. And then he turns around and he does this. He just offers it to us. Because he still loves us. He still desires a relationship with us. And he offers it to us. And he's like, I did all the heavy lifting. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is just receive this. And here's what we do. Out of our arrogance and out of our wisdom or knowledge or we think we know better, we reject it. Or or sometimes it's out of our pride. And we reject it. And at the end of our life, when we die, we go of one of two places, and God doesn't do that. Listen to me. That's our choice. We get to decide where we go. Jesus has done everything for us. Easter proves that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's offered us. The question is, will we receive it? Jesus has already done the work. Listen to me. Jesus has risen, and he is alive and well. And because he is, you can too. When you have Jesus, when you receive that gift, you no longer have to fear death. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This I am statement, I think, is is the highlight of all the I am statements because it summarizes the purpose of the whole book of John. John, later on in chapter 20, writes this. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So my challenge today is this, that you would believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life with everything within you, that you would wake up to the truth of who Jesus is, that you would receive him, that you would receive that gift that he offers you. By doing that, you commit your life to Jesus. And it's a personal and a very individual decision that you have to make. Your parents can't make this decision for you. The people who invited you this morning, they can't make the decision for you. Only you get to decide. Do you believe this? That's the answer Jesus asked you this morning. And you have to answer it one way or the other. There are two types of groups of people in here that I think we really, really have been praying for. I desire that you would make this decision today. First one is this. Those of you that fall into the group that you have never heard this before, you've never responded to Jesus, you've never accepted him and that free gift of salvation, I would pray today that today would be the day that you would do it, that you wouldn't leave here without receiving that. The second group would be those of you that maybe you did receive Jesus a while back. I don't know, maybe years ago. But for whatever reason, your life has just taken a different course and you've just drifted away. Christ went from being the center of your life to being completely out of the picture. And you know, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but you're just not committed. And and today you're realizing, no, my life is where it's at because I have walked away. It's time to come home. It's those two groups of people that I would love to challenge you today to read this with me. 
It says that when we, we say prayers like this, that we're inviting Jesus into our life, we're committing our lives to him. And these, these are not special words. We just know in scripture we're told to repent, to turn back to God. This is just some verbiage we wrote up to help us in, in being able to receive this gift this morning. And if you're in one of those two categories, I want you to read this with me like your life depends on it. Because listen to me, it does. Not just this life, but your eternal life depends on this. And I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and fold your hands. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because it's not about a head posture or a hand posture. It's about a heart posture. If you say it and you mean it and you believe it, then Jesus welcomes you back in. He puts his thumbprint on you. You are forgiven and you are saved and you are redeemed. How can he do that? Because he is the resurrection and the life. So I'm going to ask just everyone, if you would, just repeat with me. Let's read this. And those of you that need to do this from the heart, would you just please do that as we walk through this this morning? Read it with me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask you to become Lord of my life. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross to pay for my sins. I receive your grace and confidently believe that my life is forever changed in you. Jesus, I dedicate my life to you. Help me to live for you and to love as you have loved me. Thank you for your mercy, hope, and unfailing love. In your name I pray, amen. Now, if you said that for the very first time, I know it can be a little awkward, it can be a little embarrassing identifying yourself, but I want you to think about it this way. Um, the people around you or whoever invited you, if you, if you claim this this morning, they're gonna celebrate with the angels in heaven because this is your first faith step towards Christ. And I wanna challenge you in this because I know that Jesus, when he went to the cross, was bold. And so I'm asking you to be bold in this moment as well. If you said that prayer for the very first time, and I'm not talking about recommittal, I'm just talking about you've never received Christ and you said this from the heart today and you received Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm just gonna challenge you. Would you just stand up right now because I wanna pray for you. Awesome. Now the second group, if you had Christ at the core and you've drifted away, no, stay, stay standing for me, would you please? Sorry. Um, if you've recommitted this morning, would you stand up as well, just right where you're at? Awesome. Okay. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you know them, all right, if you know them, would you lay hands on them? Uh, if you don't know them, if you just stretch your hands out toward them, I'm just going to pray for them real quick this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now as your people. We ask that in this moment that you would meet us right where we're at. God, would you, um, would you move in every one of these hearts and minds that have committed themselves this morning, whether it was for the first time or, or a recommittal, Lord? I pray that uh, you would infuse your Holy Spirit into their thoughts and their hearts, their soul. Lord, would you please walk with them, guide and lead them from this day forward. Lord, I pray for protection as well because we have an enemy who's gonna be working against them because they are now making decisions for you. 
God, I pray as a church family that we would come alongside them, that we would build them up and encourage them and help them grow in their walk with you. And Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for their commitment this morning. We ask that uh, as they leave today, you would be so tangible to them that they, they could feel you, they could hear your voice. God, we give you all these things. We ask that everything that we do and say glorifies the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people agreed and said. Would you welcome them this morning? Go ahead and uh, stand with them this morning. We're going to worship the resurrection and the life. Would you please stand?